soon. But if you would find that pew Bible in front of you this morning, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. And this morning you can find that in the Old Testament section on page 430 if you'd like to follow along. Again, that's Nehemiah chapter 8. Again, a rather lengthy reading, but there's a lot in, in this for us as we seek to follow Christ. So again, Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning on page 430 in the Old Testament section. When the seventh month came, the people of Israel being settled in their own towns, all the people gathered together into the square before the water gate. They told the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Accordingly, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could hear with understanding. This was on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on the wooden platform that had been made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah, son of the right hand, and Padiah, on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Mechaljah, and Hashem, Hashad, Benadah, Zechariah, and Meshalem on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great Lord, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. Then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Benai, Sherbiah, Jamin, Echab, Shabethai, Hodai, Mishaiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. So they read from the book, from the law of God with interpretation. They gave the sense so the people could understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all, people, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions of them to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the, day of the, Lord is your, or for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that had been declared to them. On the second day, the heads of the ancestral houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to the scribe Ezra in order to study the words of the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should live in booths during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should publish and proclaim in all their towns and in Jerusalem as follows, go, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on the roofs of their houses and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square of the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths, and they lived in them. For from the days of Jeshua, son of Nun, to that day the people of Israel had not done so, and there was great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God, 
they kept the festival seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we bow before you today, and Lord, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to rejoice and to be glad in it. But more than that, we're grateful that we can gather in this place, that we can lift high your praises, that we can celebrate your work in our lives. And so, Father, as we gather in this place today, we turn our eyes heavenward, and Lord, we ask that you would open our ears, that we might hear your voice speak more plainly, that you would open our eyes, that we might see your truth more clearly, and Lord, that we might be ready to go and live out your truth to the honor and glory of your name. So, Lord, we ask today that you would accomplish your work in us, that it might be accomplished through us in the days and the weeks to come. And now, Lord, I ask humbly over these next few moments that you would either speak through me or you'd speak in spite of me. But I pray that regardless, your word would go forth and that we, your people, would be changed because of it. It's in Christ's name and to his honor and glory that we ask all these things. And together, all God's people said, Amen. Well, we often punctuate major milestones, accomplishments, and happenings in our lives with celebrations, just as we were talking about moments ago during the children's moment. Sometimes we do this recognizing some great significant thing that has happened But in all instances, we're acknowledging that there's something special about that day or something significant about that season that we've either come through or are about to enter into. Whether it's a wedding where family and friends gather together with a bride and a groom to commemorate their covenantal vows, to stand by one another in days of sickness and in health, financial prosperity or leanness, in good times or in challenging times, till death do they part. No doubt there's something significant about that day. There's something special about those vows that are shared as the couple stands together, that covenantal declaration that they make. There's also something special about being gathered together with family and friends to commemorate that day, to acknowledge that there is a new journey that the couple is embarking on, that journey called marriage. Of course, that's not the only reason we celebrate. We celebrate retirements. Colleagues, families, they gather together to mark the end of a journey, a particular season of life coming to an end, the dawn of a new. There's usually dinner and cake, speeches, opportunities to reflect upon memories and and, uh, various things that happened during that work life, various things that occurred, accomplishments that happened as we were proving and working and striving to take that next step in our careers. But also there's that acknowledgement that as that working season draws to a close, hopefully there's going to be something different about this new season called retirement. Maybe a little bit more golf, a little bit more relaxing, reading a few more books that we hadn't had the opportunity to enjoy. But the end of one season and the dawn of another. And of course there are graduation parties, baby showers, birthday celebrations, vow renewals anniversary dinners, the list could go on and on this morning. There are many other means by which we recognize and acknowledge that there is something significant about this day or this time that we've just come through, the season that we're entering into. In today's scripture, Nehemiah and the community, they've reached a critical juncture in many respects in the life of the community. 
The work of building those walls has been completed according to Nehemiah chapter 6.15. But not only has that work been completed, not only has the community joined together, but that work was completed in all of 52 days. What an accomplishment. And now Nehemiah has taken a census. He's recorded and he's made a list of everyone who's been a part of that work that God has called them to. There were leaders, there were priests, Levites, families, goldsmiths, temple singers, temple servants. All were involved in this work, this mission that God had called them to. People from various backgrounds and familiar situations had banded together, and now the work has been accomplished. And so we arrive at chapter 8. The seventh month of the year for the Jewish people dawns. And on the first day of that seventh month, a day known as the Festival of Trumpets, or as it's often referred to, Rosh Hashanah, Ezra, who was the priest, was summoned before the people. He was asked to bring the book of the Law of Moses. And he's been told, read this to God's people. Now there's a few things that we need to know about this day. Rosh Hashanah is a festival that marks the beginning of a new year. It's associated with new beginnings. The hope for renewed faithfulness. Striving to live for the Lord our God in that new year. And Rosh Hashanah is known as the festival of trumpets because on that day, shofars, which were these trumpets that were made out of ram's horns, they would sound and they would call God's people into a time of worship, a time of repentance, a time of reflection upon God's holy word. It was a time for them to be summoned again to hear the word of the Lord their God and live in faithfulness to him. It was a time also to celebrate God's past faithfulness, the ways that he had guided his people throughout the ages, but also how he is at work in their present and the future hope that was there for them. So Ezra brings this book of the law of Moses, and it's unclear whether it's the entire Pentateuch, whether he actually stood there and read the entire first five books of what we call the Old Testament, or whether it was the book of Deuteronomy that he read, a book that was commonly associated with the law of Moses, or whether it was selections from each of the book, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is this, Ezra stood before the people and he read the law according to verse 2, and as he read the law, people bowed down and they worshipped. They worshipped the Lord their God. And as they were worshipping, as the words of the book of the law of Moses were being read, the Levites were there to offer interpretation to guide the people that they might get the sense, Scripture says, that they might understand what was being read to them. And So now, having heard the law of Moses, having recognized their sinfulness, in awe of what God has accomplished in their midst, the people now wept. And as you can imagine, there is reason to weep no doubt they're weeping, they, they're sad, their hearts are broken by the fact that they've failed to live up according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect standard. Now that the law has been read, now that the interpretation has been given, they know that they have failed to live up and to uphold God's law in its entirety. And so they're weeping, they're mourning, they're grieving over this season of life that has been characterized by unfaithfulness. Yet Ezra and the Levites, Ezra and Nehemiah, instruct the people to quit mourning, 
to no longer weep. Instead, Ezra offers these words to the people in verse 10. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink the sweet wine and send portions of them to those who have nothing prepared. For this is a holy day to the Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now many of us have heard that last portion. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And indeed, there was joy to be found because the Lord had been faithful. The Lord had been true. He had been strong and had provided all along the way for their needs. There was reason to celebrate because God had been gracious unto them even when they were unfaithful to him. And now Ezra, the Levites, and Nehemiah are calling the people not not to wallow in that sadness and that guilt, not to live in that shame, but instead to worship, to celebrate, to give thanks, to be in awe of how God has moved and worked. Yes, God, God has a standard. Yes, the people had fallen short of it, but God had been gracious unto them. When they had forsaken him, he remained faithful to them. And so now the Levites comfort the people. They tell them to observe this day as a solemn day, but also as a day of rejoicing. And this is what Scripture says. The people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. In other words, the people with awe The people with wonder celebrated what God had done, what God was doing, and what God was going to do. Amen? But they didn't stop there. We arrive at verses 13 through 15. And it says, On the second day, the heads of the ancestral houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to the scribe Ezra in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law which the Lord commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should live in booths during the festival of the seventh month and that they should publish and proclaim in all their towns and in all Jerusalem as follows, go out to the hills and bring branches of olive and wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees and make booths. Now as modern day readers, it might be tempting to skim over or skip over that just as we might have wanted to skip over those genealogies last week. But what on earth is being talked about? And why is it so significant that as God's people gather together, this is the word that Ezra presents them with? Why is it important that they observe this feast, that they build these booths, that they go out to the hillsides and countryside and obtain olive branches and wild olive and myrtle and build these structures and live in them for seven days? Nehemiah, again, is talking about a feast amongst the Hebrew people. It's the Feast of Sukkot, more commonly known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And here's the information that might be helpful regarding that day. It's the last of the festivals of the Jewish calendar. It's mentioned in Leviticus chapter 23. And the Hebrew people were instructed to live in these shelters for seven days each year to commemorate, to remember that 
their forefathers and foremothers had sinned, and because of that, they had to endure wilderness for 40 years. But throughout that time, God was with them. And for that reason, Sukkot was a time of celebration. It also coincided with the end of the harvest for the Jewish people. And for that reason, it was a time of rejoicing. A rejoicing over the many ways that God had been present and faithful as his people had journeyed through that wilderness, how he hadn't given up on them or forsaken them. But it was also a reminder that now he was still with them, providing them through times of harvest as the plants that had as those things that had been planted earlier in the year were now brought in and the people could enjoy them and be sustained by them. And so the entire community gathered together to not only hear God's word proclaimed in their midst, but also they joined together in this visual act of living out and being reminded of God's faithfulness. This was their story and this is their song as we declare in that hymn, Blessed Assurance. The joy of the Lord was their strength and they were going to proclaim that in word and they were going to proclaim that as they lived it out. Yet, Nehemiah offers this little footnote. This was the first time that they had done so since the time of Jeshua, son of Nun. In other words, it had been a really long time since they as a community had observed this feast. It had been a very long time since they engaged in this aspect of worship and celebration. Friends, I don't know about you, but I think that speaks volumes about us sometimes as people. I know for myself, every year as my birthday comes around, I'd rather skip over it and not have fanfare or celebration. I know that sometimes as holidays come and as they go, the lead up and all the work and effort and time that goes in can leave us exhausted and with all the meals and everything on the back end, it can lead us tired, too tired to celebrate, too tired to remember sometimes why we're observing those holidays. Sometimes it can be sadness over loss. At times it can be guilt. Why should I or why should we be celebrating when so many others aren't at this time? Or sometimes it's a heart issue. It's a lack of gratitude on our part. A fear over what others might think if we celebrate. As we look at Nehemiah chapter 8, as we consider these two feasts that are mentioned, these festivals that Nehemiah and the people have their minds and hearts directed to as they read the book of the Law of Moses, as Ezra encourages the people to observe and celebrate these times of feasting and worship, I think there are a few takeaways for us as modern-day readers. The first is, as God's people, there are numerous reasons for us to celebrate in life. There are various seasons of life that we find ourselves in, as the book of Ecclesiastes states. There are seasons that uh, uh, that are characterized by being solemn. There are seasons characterized by joy. There are seasons for being serious, seasons for repentance. Those are holy times, sacred times. But there are also seasons for joy and celebration. Interestingly enough, we find ourselves in a rather solemn season, the season of Lent, a 40-day period of time not including Sundays, 
And during these 40 days, we are asked and we are encouraged to observe a Holy Lent filled with discipline. And part of that discipline is often fasting. Engaging in that introspection and that work of repentance with the help and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes during this season, we engage in acts of penitence. Acts of contrition. Some give up rich meats on Fridays during this season. Others give up sugary sweets altogether. Some avoid caffeine. Still others will forgo watching television or engaging in social media or they'll give something else up. And that's necessary. But I think one of the things that we often forget is that this 40-day season is always punctuated with a Sunday, which is a feast day. A day in which we exchange the solemn nature of this season of Lent for joy and celebration, just as we've been doing this morning. Because today is the Lord's Day. It's a day in which we dedicate ourselves to the worship of the resurrected Christ, who overcame sin and death, these things that we are repenting of and thinking of during this season. It's a time for us to think about the new work that he is doing in our lives the new creations that he's making us into. It's not a day for gluttony, but it is a day for praise. It's not a day to let loose, but it is a day to celebrate, to thank God for the work that he's done, work that we could not do for ourselves, for the hope of eternal life that we have in him. The second thing I'd like to suggest is it's okay to schedule, and sometimes it's even necessary to build into our lives times of celebration and praise. The women's retreat, which is mentioned in the update section, is an opportunity to do that, to schedule into your life. If you are one of the women of Zion Church, ages 18 and older, it's an opportunity for you to schedule a time to get away, to focus more fully on Christ, to praise Him, to do so through song, through fellowship with others, through walks in God's beautiful creation. And we see that throughout the Jewish calendar and even the Christian calendar. There are times for both fasting and there are times for feasting. That means there are times for introspection, times for repentance, times for seeking and receiving forgiveness. But there are also times for jubilation and praise. Times for grief, but also times for celebration. Times for sorrow, but also times for gladness. And you know what? We don't need to avoid either. Because both those are necessary. Both are holy and sacred. That solemn work that we do with the help of the Holy Spirit, but also that empowered worship. Both are necessary. Both are needed. And it's okay to schedule times for each. The third is praise and celebration come in many different forms. The feast the Feast of Trumpets, as it says, involves the blowing of trumpets, the making of music. But Sukkot, Sukkot was different. It was a form of worship and celebration and praise that involved going out into God's creation, harvesting olive branches and branches of myrtle trees, and bringing those back together, and as a family, gathering together to recount God's faithfulness, to tell the story of how God had walked with his people during a time of unfaithfulness when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. 
I don't know about you, but as I look at those two things side by side, they seem very different. The blowing of trumpets, the making of music, and then the building of structures. The fact of the matter is, our worship and praise may look different in different seasons. It may look different from one person to the next. It may be the singing of hymns or the singing loudly of modern-day worship songs in your, in your car. It might be quietly praying a written prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. Or it might be extemporaneously crying out to God from our hearts. It may be reading Scripture in Old English or taking out a Bible app and allowing that app to read God's Word to you. It may be praying in the quiet and comfort of one's home, gathering together for corporate times of worship, or walking out in nature and just giving God the glory, honor, and praise that He's due. But the bottom line is this. May we find ways to pause. To pause and to recognize God's great faithfulness. May we find ways to recount His story and the ways that He has moved in the lives of His people, the ways that He is moving in our lives. And may we find ways to join in celebrating God with songs of praise and gladness. Amen.